No one ever cared for me like Jesus. Jesus has done for me what no one else can do. And that's a great, great testimony that would be the testimony of many, many of us this morning. We uh, are going to move the chalkboard in place in just a moment, but before we do, we have a little experiment in practicing the priesthood of believers. We're all priests before God. That's what Bible teaches. We all have that right, that opportunity, that responsibility to pray. Vacation Bible Camp starts here bright and early tomorrow morning. Months and months, hours and hours of work and have gone into this, uh, and a lot of work will go into it today. Uh, a lot of frantic last-minute preparation, the things you can only do at the last minute. Uh, here's how I want us to participate. I'm going to lead us in prayer for our vacation Bible camp and our afternoon basketball camp, our Sports Crusaders basketball camp. Uh, morning is VBC, vacation Bible camp, and the afternoon is the basketball camp. Uh, in the morning, at the beginning of vacation Bible camp, and every morning, just bunches and bunches of little human beings are going to be filling these pews uh, for our worship experience. Precious lives. And no one ever cared for them like Jesus. So here's the part you want, I want you to play. Before I pray, I'd like for you to reach up and touch the pew in front of you. Or if that's too uncomfortable for you, or you're on a front row, just reach down and grab the cushion that is beside you. Do it right now. I want to see you do it. I want you to touch the pew in front of you or grab the, the cushion that is beside you or beneath you so that we're all touching some part of the furniture right now. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. Our loving and merciful God, no one ever cared for us like Jesus. And we long for the story of Jesus to be real and known in the life and experience of the boys and girls and the families that will be connected to our vacation Bible camp tomorrow and each day of the week. We pray your blessing upon them, open their little hearts and minds. Pray your blessings upon the teachers and the directors, all who have a part in this experience. And then in the follow-up, as relationships are built or continued, may you be glorified and may the same happen in basketball camp, the opportunity to teach not only sportsmanship and the skills related to basketball, but to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to, to model, to imitate, as Ken said. Bless that experience. Bless the upcoming mission trips to South Dakota, to Kenya, to New Orleans. We pray your richest blessings upon all of our efforts. Bless those in our church family uh, and extended family in military service. Protect them today and bring peace on our earth. Grant us, God, as we think together about relationships this one more Sunday. Grant us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that ache to know you better, and lives that are capable of seeing those in need. Lord, that we might not ever turn away, brothers and sisters, made in your image, for whom Christ died. This is our prayer through our Savior's name. Amen. Thank you for that, for taking part in that experience. Uh, we come to the conclusion this morning of a sermon series that began ba uh, back on May 4th, Relationships. Look at the front of your bulletin this morning, and we'll sort of review the topics that we've been looking at because we never graduate from doing life with others. Uh, we looked at self-esteem and loving others. We looked at forgiving. 
We looked at friendship, communication, listening, and then this morning, boundaries, trust, and intimacy. And uh, we're looking at this morning at uh, a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians. And I invite you, if you have your Bibles open, to uh, turn with me there to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 14 through 21. And it will be on the screen as well, but it would... Uh, help you to have a Bible open because I'll be making some references to this uh, Paul's correspondence to the, to the Corinthian Christians. If you're able, would you stand please as I read aloud God's Word, as God's Word comes among us. I am not writing this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you might have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Indeed, in Christ Jesus... I became your father through the gospel. I appeal to you then, be imitators of me. For this reason I sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ Jesus. I teach them everywhere in every church. But some of you, thinking that I'm not coming to you, have become arrogant. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God depends not on talk, but on power. What would you prefer? Am I to come to you with a stick or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Interesting words. May God bless this, his word to our hearts and to our understanding. You may be seated. Well, a novel that sort of made uh, all the rounds and was all the rage and was turned into a movie entitled Divergent. Uh, it was a movie that is, uh, and, and a novel that describes post-apocalyptic Chicago. It's science fiction. It's, it's pitched in the future. It's post-apocalyptic Chicago. And society in this post-apocalyptic age uh, is stratified around three layers or three enclaves or three classes of people. Uh, three factions, and then uh, when a, a, a youth gets to a particular age, they are tested, and then they get to choose which faction they belong to, but they have to stay in that faction all their lives, and life is organized around those factions. Well, the heroine of the story, Tris, T-R-I-S, uh, is taking her test. She's lying back in the chair with electrodes stuck all over her, and she's uh, being tested and probed as to what faction she appropriately belongs to. And the woman giving her the test suddenly becomes very panicked and anxious. And she whispers to Tris, you need to hide the results of this test. She says, because you're different. You don't fit into a category. They can't control you. Interesting. You don't fit into a category. They can't control you. And uh, really, that's what the theme of boundaries is all about. Refusing to let other people control us, refusing to let other people label us and put us in boxes, refusing to let other people choose our responses, refusing to let other people live our lives. Boundaries are those ways of appropriately keeping a wall up, an appropriate wall, so that others don't define us, 
and others don't control us. Years ago, I saw uh, the actress Mary Tyler Moore on a talk show, and she was talking about her life philosophy. And she said, here's what I've decided. What other people think of me is none of my business. Interesting. And probably very interesting for an actress. What other people think of me is none of my business. I have these appropriate boundaries in place. But as you sort of listen to yourself and as you struggle with your own stuff in life and as you struggle with relationships, uh, we all know that we do not always have clearly defined boundaries. We struggle with, we all struggle with issues of boundaries. And I'm going to give you some examples. Uh, you can be in a, in a dating relationship or a marriage relationship with someone and have so lost your personal boundaries. I've had people say to me, I was in that very destructive relationship and I didn't know where I ended and my partner began. There is that fuzziness about lack of clarity about boundaries. Young people can crave popularity so much that they uh, compromise themselves sexually or they become in involved with alcohol or other drugs in order to be popular, in order to be part of the in crowd because the boundaries, the appropriate boundaries are not in place. Or the home in which the husband, the father is verbally abusive to the children and physically abusive to his wife or the other way around. Lack of boundaries. Or the woman who attends her first ever Al-Anon meeting and discovers that not only is her husband an alcoholic, but that she herself, because of lack of appropriate boundaries, has actually been contributing to the problem by, by enabling him through some of her non-boundary choices that she's made. Or it might not be quite so dramatic, this business of boundaries, but just as important, maybe in the workplace, you, you have a, a person working next to you at work who's a little bit too nosy about your personal life, and, and you catch that person reading your emails and sort of snooping into your business, and you just, you want to say, well, I just wish, I, I'm a Christian, I just wish I could put an appropriate boundary up there. And then we could talk about church and the lack of boundaries. Some of us want so badly to please God and impress others that we say yes to everything. We never say no to anything. We get too much on our plates. Uh, we think somehow that, by, that being overloaded and overperforming in church validates us in the eyes of others and God. We think somehow that, that we receive our sense of worth from the amount of work we do, so we just keep saying yes and we grow weary and we burn out because we don't know how to say no uh, in church life. By the way, there's a phrase that's been coined by an author, uh, Renee Holly. Uh, she, she calls some people helpaholics. Helpaholics, addicted to help, addicted to uh, doing for others, finding our identity only in just wearing ourselves out, doing for others, helpaholics. And by the way, the book that she wrote in which she coined that phrase, the title of the book may be just as helpful as the phrase helpaholic. Listen to the title of the book. The title of the book is, When Helping You Is Hurting Me. When Helping You Is Hurting Me. Because sometimes when we've lost our boundaries, helping you 
is actually hurting me and probably hurting you as well. Well, as you might have guessed, I think Christians struggle with boundaries maybe more than any other group uh, around. Followers of Jesus struggle with boundaries. And you know why, don't you? Because we talk about servanthood. We talk about uh, self-denial. We talk about putting others first. And so we get all confused and think it's somehow inappropriate to have boundaries. That's wrong, but that's what we think. I had a psychologist friend uh, years ago who explained it this way. He said, Doyle, you know, it's pretty simple. He said, for Christians, for followers of Jesus, he said, when we're asked to do a job, when we, we find ourselves unable to say no, when we're asked to do a job, if we say no, we feel guilty. If we say yes, we feel resentful. He said, so every morning the Christian wakes up choosing his or her poison. Well, do I want to be, do I want to feel guilty today or do I want to feel resentful? I don't know. Kind of like deciding what color top to wear. Uh, resentful, guilty, I don't know. What do I want today? But maybe, maybe there's another way. Maybe there's a third way. Maybe there's something besides feeling guilty and feeling resentful. And that's where I think our passage of Scripture uh, that I read earlier as text, 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 14 through 21 can be helpful. Now, a couple of words about this passage of Scripture. Number one, it's not up there at the top of memorized passages of Scripture like Luke 2, the Christmas story. It's not a famous passage of Scripture. It's not a well-known passage of Scripture. It's not a Bible passage that you hear preached or taught on very often. It's it's sort of ordinary. We catch, we jump in on a conversation between Paul and the Corinthian church, and it's a little bit strained. There's, there's some stress there. There's some, there's some tension in the room. And we jump in in the middle of this conversation. And in some ways, it's a very ordinary conversation, but it's my contention that that's what makes this passage of Scripture so helpful, is that it's so everyday-ish, it's so ordinary, it's so practical. The Corinthian church gave Paul a lot of trouble. They were very immature. They struggled with boundaries. In fact, you could read uh, the 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians and the 13 chapters of 2 Corinthians, and almost in every chapter, you could find a boundary issue. The Corinthians themselves not keeping appropriate boundaries or not honoring the boundaries of other people. Uh, and it's everywhere. And Paul just wants to get gut-level honest with them, and he wants to explain to them that there are certain ways they've been behaving that are inappropriate. He wants to raise up appropriate boundaries and to say to them, you, you cannot and you will not treat me that way. I'm a servant of Christ, but you will not treat me and you will not treat other people in a particular way. And he does it all in a very, a very beautiful and balanced way. If you look carefully at verse 14, 1 Corinthians 4, there's balance there. I'm writing, this to make you I'm writing this to you not to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as beloved children. Do you sense the balance? He's saying, now I've got tough things to say to you, but I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to use guilt. I'm not going to manipulate you and control you with guilt. I'm not going to play those games. I'm going to appropriately talk about boundaries, but I'm going to do it 
because you're my beloved children. I'm going to tell you the truth because I love you because I think you can handle it. And it's a compliment to you that I love you and, and treat you in that way. Then he goes on and explains a little bit more about his love. He says, you know, you might have 10,000 guardians, verse 15, 10,000 guardians in Christ, but you don't have many fathers in Christ Jesus. I'm your father in Christ Jesus. Now, the word guardian, interestingly, in the first century Roman Greco, Greco-Roman culture, the guardian was a tu- tutor or disciplinarian. Our word might even be truant officer. It was the job of that slave who worked for the parents to make sure that the child got to school and back home from school. But the tutor, the disciplinarian, the guardian, was a slave. He wasn't biologically related to the children, and he was allowed to carry a rod, a switch, as we would call it in North Missouri, to sort of uh, whack the kids if they were late and they didn't get to school on time uh, or they didn't do what they were supposed to do. But, you know, there was no love relationship. It was a job. There was a job description. And there was as much distance between a tutor or a guardian and the father as there could be. Paul says, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not your truant officer. I respect your boundaries. I love you as I'm telling you the truth. I'm not, I'm not trying to punish you. I love you. Uh, You've got to hand it to Paul. One of the things that I love about Paul is that he was durable in relationships. He would hang in on relationships. And if you don't believe it, just read the history of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He could, get, he could get frustrated. He could admit his own mistakes, but he was durable in relationships. And if we don't learn anything else in this school of relationships one-on-one, uh, 101, we need to remember to be durable in relationships. And, and here's what I mean by that. Paul never said, I've got a problem with you, therefore I don't love you anymore. What Paul said was, I've got a problem with you, and by the way, I still love you. See the difference? We can talk about boundaries while holding on to the relationship. We can talk about tough stuff while holding on to the person. I've got a problem with what you just did, but by the way, I love you, and I'll always love you. That was Paul's way. And then... To show that he really did understand boundaries, what he says at the closing of this passage, after he's given them a pretty stern warning, he says in verses 20 and 21, now, how do you want me to come to you when I physically show up at the Corinthian church? Which would you prefer? Am I to come to you with a stick, a switch, as we say in North Missouri? Do I come to you with a, with a stick or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Did you hear what Paul was saying? He was saying, I respect your boundaries. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not, going to try to, I'm not going to try to control you. It's your choice. It's your choice. I'm not going to live your life. You get to do what you have to do. It's your choice. It's between you and God. Here's a key sentence in understanding boundaries. We are responsible to others we are not responsible for others. You got that? And that's exactly what Paul was doing here. He was saying, I'm responsible to you as your apostle, 
as your Father in Christ. I'm responsible to you, but I am not responsible for you. It's between you and God. You figure out whether you want me to come with a stick or in the spirit of love and gentleness. And so, when you ask me the question, well, if I put up appropriate boundaries, am I not just being selfish? My answer to you is no. When we put up appropriate boundaries, we are not being selfish. We are being real. We're being authentic. We're being good stewards of the only self that God gave us, the only personality, the only soul that God gave us. And, and God wants us to make appropriate choices and to be good stewards of that soul. I noticed twice in verse 15 and twice in verse 17, Paul uses the phrase, in Christ in Christ Jesus, in the Lord, and in Christ Jesus. Everything Paul did was in Christ and in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one we look to for healthy boundaries and healthy relationships. Just think with me for a moment. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4, Satan said, just turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do ministry that way. I'm not going to do show off. I'm not going to take shortcuts. Jesus was putting up an appropriate boundary. Uh, in Mark 1, uh, Jesus was having great success in a village, and his disciples came to him and said, let's go at it again. Man, the crowds are building up. We're going to have a great extended revival. Great things are going to happen here. And it, you read it in Mark 1, and Jesus said, no, let's go to a different village. Jesus drew appropriate boundaries as to the kind of ministry that he wanted. It wasn't one of popularity and seeing how big a crowd he could draw. And then in John chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus said, I, I, I have my own schedule. You're not going to force me. You're not going to manipulate me. You're not going to move me faster toward the cross than I'm supposed to go. Jesus everywhere had appropriate boundaries. Even when he gave his life, John chapter 10, he said, I lay it down of myself. Nobody takes it from me. I do it of my own volition. Jesus had appropriate boundaries. And Jesus taught me appropriate boundaries. Jesus taught me to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And when Jesus taught us to pray that, he was teaching us to pray and practice appropriate boundaries. There is an author... <clears throat> that I really like. He wrote a lot in the 1970s and 80s, Keith Miller. And uh, he says that all of us should imagine that over our bodies is a giant mason jar. A giant mason jar. Because he's talking about boundaries, appropriate boundaries. He said over, over every person's body there is a, a large mason jar. But the jar is not made of glass. It's made of semi-permeable material. We can let some people in appropriately, but it also keeps inappropriate people and inappropriate things out. And he said, we always have to make sure that we're good stewards of that mason jar, that we have the appropriate settings on that semi-permeable material to allow the right people and the right things in and to let them in in appropriate ways and appropriate times. 
so that we can be the people God created us to be. Now, here's the trick. If you don't have any mason jar, if you don't have any boundaries, everything and everybody runs over your life. They, they ravage it. They, they, they overtake it. If you don't have any boundaries, people run over your life. But the other option is just as bad, and that's having iron boundaries, which never let anybody in. And that person dies of loneliness. No relationship with God. No relationship with others. And as I was thinking about the wrap-up to this series, I was thinking this week about the strangest irony of all about relationships and about boundaries. I know people and you know people who uh, don't have appropriate boundaries up. Everybody and everything runs over their life, claiming their allegiance, claiming their attention, claiming their finances, claiming their, uh, their very soul. Everything is just running over their lives. And when you start to engage with that person and talk to that person about Jesus Christ as appropriate Lord and Master of life, about what Christ has done for us, about God's claim on our life, when you start talking to that person, this person will say, oh no, I've got my boundaries. God's not going to take over my life. You see how ironic that is? They say, oh no, I'm not just giving myself to anybody. I don't want God to come in my life and ruin it. And I want to pull a Dr. Phil at that point and say, how's that working for you? Letting everything and everybody but God in and keeping God out. How's that working for you? Because it's only when Jesus Christ is at the center of my life that I'm free from all those other things and people. It's his validation and approval that I need, not everyone else's. He's the one who sets us free in and for relationships. Let's bow our heads together.